We as a church, we've been studying the, the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, in the series we are calling The Final Days of Jesus. And today we are in our last chapter of this walk. And in the chapter we're studying today, we, we see exactly what's commemorated in, in this day, the, the resurrection of Christ. So open with me in Mark uh, 15. Um, today I want to basically briefly present, present to you a biblical answer to three questions. Uh, did Jesus actually rise from the dead, rise from the dead? What's the importance of Jesus being resurrected? And how does it affect my life today? So let's read our text and have a moment of prayer before we dive into it. So we're going to start from oops, uh, Mark 15, verse 42. The Word of God says, And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought bought a linen shroud, and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud, and laid him in the tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Now Mark 16. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene married the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very, very early, on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we are always thankful for what you did for us. The work you did in the cross for us, Jesus. Because your, your, your body was broken for us. Your blood was shed so we can have part in this new covenant with God. And then this special day where we rejoice in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the tomb. I, I ask you that the Holy Spirit can be working in this congregation. That we can have our hearts changed by your word. 
and we can be transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and hearts to feel. And that everything we, we talk here can be for the glory of God. Amen. Amen. So, uh, last week we studied the crucifixion and the uh, consequent death of Jesus. And we saw he was beaten, scourged, humiliated, cursed, mocked the whole time and almost for everyone that was in that scene. And even worse than that, he in the cross, he drank the cup of the wrath of God against sin. So, and he even prayed like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So it's a really intense moment. And a very important message Mark is trying to teach us all through his book, but especially here in, in the suffering and death of, of Jesus Christ, what, what he called the passion of Christ, is that this is happening exactly according to what God has announced that it would happen in the Old Testament through the mouth of the prophets. So Jesus is fulfilling all these promises through his perfect life, through his rejection by his people, yeah, his suffering and the death and, and the subsequent vindication or he was justified by God. For many people watching the death of Christ, it was, was maybe the proof that he was not the Messiah. He was not the promised king. He was not the savior of the world. How can the, the savior of the world die on the cross? And maybe for some of them, those who believed for a while in Jesus, it was a confusing moment. They were looking to Jesus on that cross and they thought, I think something terribly wrong ha just happened. In the next scene, we, after Jesus' death, we, we see his burial, what is actually not a burial. And so in verse 42 and 43, we, we just read the following. And when the evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. So in, in the evening Jesus died, this man called Joseph of Arimathea goes to Pilate. Pilate was the Roman governor who ordained Jesus' execution, and he asks for his body. And the text says he took courage to do that. But why? Why he had to have courage to do that? So John 19, uh, 38 gives us more insight to that. We're going to have here on the screen, but if you want to open uh, in your Bible. So verse 38 says, After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. So here, uh, we see that this Joseph, he was a member of the council. Uh, and if you remember the council, that plotted and delivered Jesus to be killed. The council was this religious ruling body of the Jews, and that, that was as well probably why he had access to Pilate, because he was an important figure in, figure in Israel. But he was a secret disciple during the whole life of Jesus. Uh, we don't know when he, beca he became a disciple, but he was a secret disciple for a while. And now Jesus is dead, and he decides to come out as a disciple. And it seems like a terrible time to do that, right? 
considering they just killed your master. But in, in an act of courage, and our text says he was looking for the kingdom of God, he goes there and asks for Jesus' body. Pilate gives him permission to take the body, and then he goes there, wraps Jesus' body, and places it in a tomb. The text says that had been cut out of, of a rock, and the uh, stone is rolled against the entrance of the tomb. So last, last week we read about a man called Simon of Cyrene, and he helped Jesus to carry the cross to the place of the crucifixion. And we talked about how this man, without knowing, he was part of the moment that brought salvation to the whole humanity, right? And today we have Joseph of Arimathea being used in a similar way. In his reverence for Jesus, he overcomes his fear and goes there to take the body of Christ. And by doing this, he fulfills a lot of promises we find in Scripture. For example, Psalm 16, verse 10 says, Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see the cave. That's one, one example. If Jesus were left hanging on the cross, he would probably be thrown into a pit with all the criminals. But Joseph goes there and take care of the body of Christ, honor the body of Christ. And even the rock that was rolled against the door of the tomb was meant to prevent Jesus', Jesus body from being defied by our people or animals. Uh, he, his acts fulfills, for example, as well, Isaiah 53, verse 9, where it says, And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. So Matthew 20, 27, verse 57, talk about Joseph, uh, teaches us that he was a rich man. It says, When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was also a disciple of Jesus. So he fulfills all these promises without knowing it. And here we learn that he was actually um, doing this in, in, because he was a disciple and he wanted to honor the dead body of Jesus. And by doing this, he becomes participant in the history of salvation. So one important lesson I believe we can learn from this text is that Joseph used his riches. He probably lost much of his status among the consul. And he even risked his life because his master was just killed to help the dead body of Christ. But it was through this act that maybe would be seen like a waste in general that God used him to prepare the turning point in history. He was a fundamental piece to prepare the resurrection of Jesus. And maybe you don't see how you now talk about your life. You don't see how you risk your life, your job, your reputation for the sake of the gospel can make any good to this city, to this nation, to your family, to your friends. And sometimes you think if, if for example, if I knew my obedience to Christ would change the history of this country, bring salvation to many, I would be obedient. But maybe seems like your obedience right now instead standing in certain situations for Jesus for the gospel is more like dying on the wrong hill but the fact is you don't know and we shouldn't honor Christ and obey him because we think it's profitable or because of the apparent fruit 
We do that because that's what discipled us. Because our, we had our hearts changed to love and honor God, and honor Jesus. But maybe, maybe it would be through our efforts that are apparently not important that we are being used by God to prepare the way for His manifestation in this land. It, it's interesting to think that in the climax of the gospel story, the person to help Jesus to carry the cross is not one of the twelve. It's not Peter helping Jesus here. The one to prepare his, his body and the tomb for the resurrection is not one of the twelve. And the first people to know about the resurrection and even to see Jesus are not from the twelve. That's really interesting. And I think it should give us perspective on how God can use normal people like you and me. And not just clergymen, people who occupy some office in the body of Christ. To be part of his plans and change the history. And bring the kingdom of God. So church, if Christ is worth risking everything when he was dead, so much more now that he's alive and reigning over everything. Amen? But now let's talk about the resurrection. That's how it goes. Uh, uh, Mark 16, verse 1 to 3. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Solomon bought spice so that, so that they might, might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? So that's the first part of the resurrection. So we see these three women willing to honor the body of Christ as Joseph by anointing. Jesus was buried on Friday night by Joseph, but they just go on Sunday because they as Jews they couldn't go on Saturday because they had to keep the Sabbath. And you see that they did not expect the resurrection. They were asking each other who would help them by rolling away the, the, the stone from the entrance of the tomb. And maybe if you're not familiar with the gospel, you could ask, but how could they expect that? How could they expect the resurrection? Well, the prediction of Jesus by Jesus of his resurrection was common knowledge. And I want you to show that. So Matthew uh, 27 Matthew 27, verse uh, 62 to 64 says, The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate. Look what they said. And said, Sir, we remember, we remember how that imposter said, While he was still alive, after three days, I will rise. Therefore, ordered the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Lest his disciples go and steal his away and tell the people he has risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. So we see, we see clear here that what, we just have, what we just read happens after the death of Jesus, right? And it shows that how even the religious leaders who killed Jesus, they were concerned with his predictions. But they supposed his disciples could steal his body and lie to people about the resurrection. 
And for this reason, the Roman soldiers uh, are put in the, in the, to guard the tomb, which is actually a good thing, right, in this case. It just makes the resurrection more credible. But the fact is, when we read all the four Gospels, we see that these women were not expecting the resurrection of Jesus. And when we read all the Gospels, we see that even the disciples, they were not expecting the resurrection of Jesus. And when the, the, those women, they go and tell the disciples about the resurrection, they don't believe it. So there are important aspects here to be noticed. Let's read again a few verses of our text. First, now verse 4. And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they lay him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you see him, just as he told you. So the first people, as far as we know, to receive the news about the resurrection are women. At uh, the time the testimony, sorry, at the time the testimony of women, they were of little value. So if the Christians were trying to create a good story about Jesus' resurrection, having these women as the first people to know about the resurrection is not a strong argument. But the concern of the author here. Uh, the author of the Gospel, Mark, he, is, he wants to give you the facts. They are testifying about these events. And it's interesting that the Gospel of Mark is not even trying to make a big, big deal about the, the, the messenger here. He says a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, gives them the good news about Jesus' re resurrection. If you read uh, the Gospel of Matthew, you're going to know it's an angel. But it's very different from what we sometimes imagine about angels, right? But what I'm saying is that these things were not an attempt to create an spectacular story so that you can believe. But they are just describing what they saw, what happened, the truth. It's interesting as well that this angel, this, he does not give them new revelation or anything. He's just sitting there to say something really obvious. He's not here. The women could see that by themselves, right? You don't need an angel to say, like, he's not here. But the thing is, in their unbelief, they could think that the body of Jesus was stolen. And that's their, their first thought. But this angel says, he's not here. He has risen. He's alive, as he promised. And now these women needed to go to tell the disciples Jesus is alive. And they go to Galilee to meet him without having any proof of his re resurrection other than the empty tomb, which can actually mean a lot of things, not necessarily the resurrection. You needed to believe that Jesus and the things he said were true and that he was actually risen. Our, our, and our text finishes by saying, And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. So I want you to add a little bit to this conversation by reading Luke 24, when, it, when Luke talked about the resurrection. Luke, Luke 24, uh, verse 4 says, While they were perplexed about this, behold, 
Two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, the angels, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Giovanni Mary, mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them as idle tale. And they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloth by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. So what I, I, what I want you to see here is that God has sent these angels not to try to prove the resurrection. The angels were not trying to prove that Jesus was alive. But they were there to remember the words of Jesus. To remember his promises. The angel says, remember how he told you. And that's the thing. I could spend the whole day here trying to give you proof of Jesus' resurrection. But that's not what Jesus expects from us. And that's not how someone believes in him. We have four different gospels telling us the stories of what Jesus did. We have the testimony of 12 apostles and other hundred, hundreds of men who saw Jesus resurrected. We can see clearly that the Romans protected the tomb against the disciples and people trying to create rumors. We see that the Gospels don't distort the facts, telling us the truth that women were the first to know about Jesus' resurrection and they haven't seen him but an empty tomb. We see that the disciples are not pictured as men full of faith who immediately believed the resurrection. And because the resurrection is true, we can start collecting a lot of facts that in a way proves it. But the fact is, like many people at that time, many today will not believe it. It does not matter how much proof you give them. And the important thing here is that God points us to the fact we should know that He is risen, not because we have empirical evidence, but because we trust God and we trust His words. And it does not mean we will not have evidence. As I said, Jesus appeared to many people after His resurrection. But the point is, seeing Jesus resurrected should not be a surprise for us. But by faith, what do we expect? Our surprise shows our, our lack of faith, actually. And it's interesting to see that Jesus appeared to his disciples so they can have their faith restored and strengthened. Friends, why do you need to believe the resurrection? To live in light of the resurrection? Because sometimes we say we believe it, but it makes no difference in our lives. It's not evidence, but it's faith. You need to trust God in his words. Otherwise, you will be always blind to the truth. And my prayer this morning that God can be open the eyes of some here. To believe that. To have faith in that. Another aspect that is important here 
is that the, the news that Jesus is alive instead of making them happy made them first frightened and fearful. So knowing that Jesus is who he says he is, the king of the universe, that he lives and that he will come to judge all the human beings after what we have done to him and to all the prophets in the past and to his creation and our rebellion and disobedience, it's a frightening thought. But the thing is, once you have your eyes open to that, you know as well that you can find rescue and forgiveness in him. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of the wisdom. That's what the Bible says. And that's what they are learning here. They fear the Lord. And they, they start seeing the reality before them. So when you, you fear the Lord, it's when you start really thinking rightly. And when we see ourselves by who we really are, and we, we see Jesus by who he really is. And now I want to talk about the importance of the resurrection. So first of all, it's important because as I just said, it's having our eyes open to the reality that Jesus is not a dead prophet. But he's actually alive right now. As Matt was saying here, he is not living in our hearts. He's alive. And he sees your life. And he will judge you. But he is as well offering you mercy. All you need to do is humble yourself and ask for his mercy. Another as important aspect is if you don't have faith, if you say, like, I don't believe anything you're saying, because he's alive, you can ask him. He appeared to the disciples to help them with their unbelief. And I guarantee you, if you ask him in humility, with a sincere heart, he will present himself to you because he's alive. If you seek him, you find him. Talk to him. He'll talk to him. You need to talk to him. He's alive. So you need to humble yourself before him. Because he'll listen to you. And a third point that I think is crucial, and many people get it wrong, even Christians, it's, it's in 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, the same text Matt read at the beginning, it says, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even, not, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testify about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if it is true that he, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. So friends, that, that's important. The hope of the Christian is not your soul living eternally with God. That's not the hope of the Christian. 
Our hope is resurrection. Christ has risen, and He is the first fruit of this new creation. Death is not our friend. Death is not freeing us from this prison of physical life. The Bible teaches that death is our enemy. And that death was defeated by Christ. And that one day we will be resurrected. And death will be defeated once and for all. The resurrection shows us that God does not just, just save souls, but He saves the body as well. The resurrection shows us that our eternal life, our eternal future is physical. God created the world and He's making it perfect. The world will be very good as God promised, as God created it to be. Our bodies will be perfect. And that's why I say in Jesus we see the inauguration of the new and final creation. The resurrection shows us that our future is not a life without a body in another dimension. But everything we experience in this world is a foreshadowing of what we are about to see when Jesus comes back. This belief that the material world is bad and the spiritual is good is not biblical. Don't hold to that. Jesus came to redeem everything. Material and immaterial, body and soul, the visible and the invisible. So we Christians, we don't dream about a perfect world. We expect it. We long for it. That's why we want Jesus to come back. That's why we don't place our faith in political agendas, in other people. Because we, we have a plan. It's Jesus coming back. He's preaching the gospel and waiting for Jesus. That's our plan. That's how we make the world a perfect place. That's how we build a better society. That's why the resurrection is important. So friends, if you like your life, if you love being alive and you love the world, if you see beauty in this world, I want you to know that God has prepared for us this, but better, but perfect without ending, without death, without suffering, without evil. And that's what, what the resurrection of Jesus points us to. It's not wishful thinking. You, you look to Jesus' resurrection, you know that everything will be renewed. It's reality. Knowing Jesus is alive, that He lives in His perfect body, is the glimpse of the new creation. It's a guarantee that this new world, the kingdom of God, is coming. But there is a very important aspect you cannot miss in all of this. And the text I just read says, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who also have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Friends, you need to understand the point of all this. We are sinners. That's, that's the problem. And the reason why Jesus had to come, the reason he had to be born of a woman and live a perfect life of obedience to the law of God and then suffer and be rejected and be mocked and die on that cross and be resurrected 
is our sin. It's because of our sin, our disobedience against God, that death came into the world, not just in a physical manner, but in an eternal matter, body and soul, everything is dead. And when Jesus pays the price for our sin, He's delivering us from the deserved punishment. He's delivering us from the spiritual death and bodily death. And that's why if Christ has not resurrected, our faith would be in vain. There is no reason to believe our sins are paid if the sentence is not removed. And we still die in our sins, which include our bodies. But the resurrection is the proof that our debt is paid in full. That, it, that is finished. And that's why one day all those who believe will be resurrected too. Showing Christ has conquered death and sin once and for all. And friends, that's the offer of the gospel. You gave up your rebellion against God. You surrendered this finite life to receive an eternal life of everlasting joy, peace, and justice, and union with your Creator. Not in a subjective way, in a non-physical reality. Not in your heart, but in fullness. Body and spirit, visible and invisible. Everything will be restored and made perfect. And a very important piece, how do you have access to that? It's not by living a moral life. It's not by trying hard to be a good person. Because you cannot do that. And that's exactly why we need a Savior. We have access to this by faith. That's what our text says. And it means believing with our minds that Jesus did all this and that He is alive. We need to believe with our minds our hearts, yes. We need to believe the message contained in this book, the Bible, about what it professes about Jesus. But you need to profess it with your mouth that He is your Lord and that He is your King. That's what Paul teaches in, in Romans 10. You need to give your allegiance to Him. You need to renounce your life. You need to renounce living according to your plans, to your morals, to your standards. And you need to start living according to everything Jesus commanded us. And to end this message, I want to show one last thing. That's really interesting. Matthew 28. After the resurrection, it says, verse 11 says, While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. So they, they tell the, the chief priests about the angels, about the tomb, about Jesus not there. And when they had assembled with the elders and the council, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews into the world to this day. So when the soldiers tell the people in power what happened at the tomb, the angels, the stone, roll away, the body of Jesus was not there, instead of investigating the fact, you can see really clear that they, they are not interested in the truth. They pay the soldiers to spread lies, to say the body was stolen. 
And right after that, in Matthew, Matthew 28, we see Jesus sending his disciples to go around the world, make disciples, preach the gospel, baptize them, and teach them to obey everything Jesus commanded. Jesus commissions them to tell the truth, to tell everyone Jesus is alive, and call people to repentance and to live in obedience to the true King, Jesus Christ. And friends, that's what we have before us today. Who will believe? Who will believe? Will you believe the truth? Will you believe the testimony of those who die instead of denying what they saw? Will you believe Jesus? Will you believe the one who was faithful even to death? Or will you believe in just men? Will you believe the words of those who killed innocent men? Will you believe people who are not interested in the truth? But rather in their positions, in their reputation, in money? Who will you believe? That's the question. Here we have the two sides. There is no neutrality. And that's this, the question you have, we, have, we have forever before us until Jesus comes back. Who will you believe? Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for... First, for your spirit, because it's through your spirit that we can have faith. And what I ask you, Jesus, is that as I was sitting here, I know you are alive. And the same way that you show, show yourself to me one day and, and keep showing up. If there is someone here who doesn't believe Jesus, who doesn't have faith in Jesus, in a true manner, reveal yourself to them. Change their hearts so they can see, so they can have faith. And for those who, like the disciples, their faith is, is weak, those who have doubt their hearts, given them experience with your, your presence in these in this, this stages, that they can have their faith restored, that they can understand the Word of God is the truth, and that this cannot, we don't want this to be just a truth in our minds, in our hearts, but we want to be this something we live in light of that. It needs to be our hope. It needs to be the way we live. Thank you. Amen.